Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is season 4, episode 332 and 333 of this daily study podcast. Thank you so much once again for joining us. Uh, Apologies again uh, for yesterday. We actually had our wedding anniversary, uh, 12 years now, which is wonderful. Um, and I was it was totally focused on spending time together, so I didn't have any time really to st- to record the podcast. Uh, but I wanted to conclude last week's study of Zechariah. This is in the week of December the 5th to December the 11th in the books of uh, Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, but finishing Zechariah today, focusing on the number of prophecies about Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. There are a number of um, things that were prophesied in this book of Zechariah, which were then fulfilled uh, by the life of the Saviour. And so what we're going to do is have a look at some of those prophecies and uh, discuss briefly how uh, they were fulfilled. Um, And also they they point toward his eventual second coming too. Um, And why it's important for us to understand these passages as well. So a few things to cover here. We'll then um, probably go straight into our study of Malachi in uh, this week's study uh, from tomorrow. Um, But we'll see if there's time for our usual Extra Monday episode as well, where we discuss something else. So uh, for now, let's uh, finish off Zechariah. So we'll start with Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 11. Here uh, we have uh, some points about what would happen uh in verse 9 it says rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout o daughter of jerusalem behold thy king cometh unto thee he is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass so we know that as the savior entered jerusalem he rode on a donkey uh, and this is uh, in um the idea that he would be fulfilling this revelation that happened that talked about how he would be indeed the saviour he would be the king but he would be also humble and lowly riding upon um, a donkey uh, rather than riding on with a great um, entourage of many horses and chariots and things uh, he will be riding on a donkey um, and we see in the uh, Elder Dietra Fuchdorf uh, said this, quote, In fulfilment of Zechariah's ancient prophecy, he rode in on a donkey, and as he did so, a great multitude came out to greet the master and carpeted the path before him with palm leaves, flowering branches, and even their own garments. As he approached, they cried, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Perhaps the disciples thought this as a turning point, the moment when the Jewish world would finally recognize Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. But the Saviour understood that many of the shouts of praise and acclamation would be temporary. He knew that soon he would ascend to the Mount of Olives, and there, alone in Gethsemane, take upon himself the sins of the world. Close quote. So, uh, we have a very literal fulfilment that took place in the life of the Saviour with this. Um, with this. I suppose that how we apply this to our own life is a little difficult because the Saviour is not going to arrive in our own homes riding a donkey. But I suppose what we need to consider is, do we invite the Saviour into our lives, even if he does seem um, meek and humble and lowly at this time? I mean, obviously, um, we are 
about to celebrate the, the Christmas season, or we are celebrating the Christmas season, where we think about the Saviour's birth, and we think about how he was born in a stable. Um, and to many people in the world today, the, the thought of um, worshipping the Saviour is something which they just don't have time for, or they don't have, have the faith for. And so it's something which we need to uh, think about, is how we invite him into our lives. Um, and make it a, a place for him at this time. We'll move on uh, to the next uh, couple of verses. Uh, in verses 12 and 13 of Zechariah 11, it talks about another uh, event that took place in the Saviour's life. And it says, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, if, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast this unto the potter, a goodly price that was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, this 30 pieces of silver is um, an interesting thing to just reflect on here. Firstly, we know that this did take place in the Saviour's life. We know that this is the price that Judah accepted for the betrayal of Jesus. Uh, and so it is, again, a literal fulfilment uh, of the prophecy that takes place here in Zechariah 11. Um, but what's interesting as well is the amount that was offered. 30 pieces of silver, whilst it may sound like a lot to us today, uh, was not considered very much in those days. And so it is a kind of symbol or recognition that perhaps not just with Judah and the um, the Romans, but also, or the, or the chief priests, um, but also that maybe today, in, in the world today, before the second coming, uh, people see, you know, the worship of the Saviour as something that's prized at 30 pieces of silver, something which isn't very worthwhile or something that's very much um, and not worth the time and the sacrifice that's required uh, to be a true disciple, someone that follows him and has changed their life to reflect more his life. Um, it is... Uh, a something to reflect on, something that we need to consider. What are we? What is the value of the saviour in our lives? Is it at a thirty pieces of silver, or is it invaluable? Is it something which is of great worth? Uh, and I think that we can reflect on that and that and think and pray about where we have the saviour placed in our lives at this moment. This next verse um, kind of points towards a fulfillment of something that happens in the Saviour's life, but also a prophecy of what will happen when he comes again. In Zechariah chapter 10 verse, uh, sorry, 12 verse 10, it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and it shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Um, the saviour was pierced and uh, he was pierced in his hands, his feet, and his side. Um, and when he was resurrected, these wounds were not, these blemishes were not removed. And um, I suppose this is something which we sometimes wonder is if the resurrection is meant to perfect our, our mortal bodies uh, to immortality and eternal life with no blemish or any fault or anything like that. Why, when the Saviour was resurrected, did he still have the wounds? Um, and there are a number of answers to this. 
but one of the answers is to fulfill prophecy. For example, in Zechariah 12.10, where it says about how that um, the inhabitants of Jerusalem will look upon him and they will mourn. Now, of course, they all know that they did not do this themselves, but they all know that their, their ancestors, that those who uh, had the Saviour in their midst in his mortal life, did this. Um, and it will be a time of sorrow and of um, repentance, uh, of change, of coming back to the Saviour and um, and recognising him as uh, the Son of God. And that will be, uh, um, and that's why those wounds are there, so they will re- recognise him as the one who was pierced uh, for our iniquities uh, and that he took upon him, him our sins. And it was because of that that these things had to happen. Um, and it is a reminder, a token that he is the one uh, that has saved, that is able to save. Um, in Zechariah 13, verses 6 to 7, it uh, is kind of continuing this. It says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Um, and it talks about in verse 7, actually, uh, about the sheep being scattered. Uh, and how they'll be returned. But um, it is important to remember this, because this doesn't just apply to um, the the inhabitants of Jerusalem and thinking about how their ancestors uh, marked him with uh, wounds in his hands and his feet, because aren't we all responsible uh, for the wounds in the hands of the Saviour and in his feet and in his side? Of course, we were not there physically at that time and did not physically cause them. Um, but it's our actions, it's our faults and sins and um, sorrows which were which meant that this sacrifice was necessary. Elder Robert D. Hell said, quote, We can't hurt a stranger as much as we can, can a loved one. We know just what to do to hurt our companions, parents and brothers and sisters. We know where they are, where they are vulnerable. We know how they can be hurt in the, by, uh, the most by our actions. To many, it seems to be a test of faith to be wounded by those closest to us. Of Jesus, it is said in Zechariah that when asked where he had received the wounds in his hands, he would say that he was wounded in the house of his friends. Isn't it true that God, our Father, and his Son grieve when we sin? When we fail to be obedient and accept the atoning sacrifice of our Lord, aren't we hurting him who, who loves us most? Close quote. So not only is this something which we see as a fulfilment of a latter-day prophecy where people will see the wounds in the Saviour's hands and his feet, but it's also a fulfilment in the sense that um, we will know that we have caused some um, some amounts of that suffering. Um, indeed, you know, that there is no um, quantifiable amount of suffering that can be placed on our sins, but that we know that because we are we do sin and we have sinned, that we of course suffering to our saviour uh, and that is a that's something which we will have to feel when we meet him again but hopefully we have done the work in mortality today uh, to repent and to have those things be forgiven because then it will be rather a, a moment of sorrow a, a moment of gratitude and of um, this Im- immense joy that we can meet the one that's made this possible. Um, then we have uh, finally in Zechariah verse 14, verses 1 to 9. There's a number of things here. 
which uh, talks about what will happen when the Saviour comes again, his feet being on the Mount of Olives, the, the Lord going to fight against the nations and gathering Israel, and all sorts of things which we have spoken about before, uh, which are wonderful prophecies. But in verses 8 to 9, uh, it kind of gives the conclusion of this. It says, And it shall be in that day that living water shall go forth out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Um, what I like about that verse 8, about the living waters, is that um, it indicates kind of the the sustenance that will come from the reign of the Saviour, but also how it will be across the whole earth, in the former sea and the hinder sea in the winter and in the summer. I like that because it suggests that it will be everlasting, that it will be all for all time, and that it will be all-encompassing as well, um, that it will stretch forth across the earth. Um, it is something which we can look forward to. I know I know many, a number of people who look at the second coming and think, oh, it's going to be a scary time. And indeed, the time leading up to the second coming is going to be a scary time. In fact, we're living in it right now. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but uh, the world is becoming a more and more scary place. Um, but when the Saviour does come, those scary things will be able to end, um, and he will be able to rule and reign. Of course, I know there's some of us that worry because we're not quite ready yet, and I, I suppose there's a couple of things with that. Will we, we ever be truly ready? I'm not sure. But one thing we can do is make sure we're just doing what we need to today, to make sure that we are ready for that time um, so that we can be prepared for him and uh, welcome that day with joy and gladness. Um, there truly are a number of remarkable prophecies in Zechariah um, and a number of them it would be a shame to have not covered so I'm glad that we've been able to do that today. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your study with us. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back onto our usual daily podcast bite-sized episodes um, and be able to continue studying together. Please do share what you studied on the Facebook group. Um, please share what you think on the uh, via email at session at gmail.com. And until we meet again.